welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast, number 33, which for those of you old enough to remember, is almost the speed an LP played at. Although I do see that vinyl has made a bit of a comeback of late. If only the same thing could be said of me. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we have three interviews for you on the programme this week. It's been a very busy one. We've had articles on the potential losses for US dairy because of the ongoing tariffs being imposed between the US and China. Although, on the other side of the coin, European dairy producers could also lose out in a trade war with the US. We covered Fonterra's latest results... The seventh edition of Kantar's Brand Footprint publication came out this week and we looked at some of the dairy companies involved. And we also had stories on DMK and the GDT. So you can't even avoid acronyms in the dairy industry. Personally, I saw more people in the village yesterday than I've seen in six months because the building opposite was being used for voting for the European elections in spite of the Brexit mess that we still find ourselves embroiled in. That may still be ongoing if and when we reach Dairy Dialogue number 333. I'm also getting ready for next week's Free From Expo in Barcelona, and the first thing to do is to check whether I need an umbrella, and thankfully it looks like the answer to that is no, as well as the answer to do I need thermals. It will make a nice change. We're already getting ahead with interviews for the program, which is good. Next week, our US reporter Beth Newhart will feature again with some interviews. And we also have a milestone this week in that we have our first repeat interviewee. Not on the same topic, I hasten to add. And so I will end the suspense and tell you what we have lined up for you today. This week's Dairy Dialogue podcast features three interviews with Phil Griffin, Franeri Group Head of Sales on Franeri's purchase of Fonterra's tip-top ice cream operation in New Zealand. We'll chat with Bennett's Butter Company chef and co-founder Austin Orwasher about some new flavoured butters in the US and founder of UK company Yar, Andre Gabuz, talks about the company's quark bars that have launched into Sainsbury's. And, of course, we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone's Liam Fenton. And finally, we'll have a teaser of what we have in store for you next week. As you may have read in Dairy Reporter, or at least I hope that you did, Fonterra recently sold its tip-top ice cream operation to Franeri, the world's third largest ice cream producer. Franeri is a joint venture between Nestle and PAI Partners, and we spoke with Phil Griffin, Franeri Group's head of sales, about the deal and what it means for Franeri. The tip-top business in in New Zealand is a business we've been watching for a long time and, and, and have admired for a long time. And we feel it's it's a really good fit for our business, and we're delighted we've managed to agree a deal with Fonterra to take stewardship of the business. And did you already have existing business in that region? We have the Peters business in Australia, which is number one in the market there, with some fantastic brands, with Drumstick, with Connoisseur. So that part of the world is quite strategically important to us. It's counter-cyclical to our normal seasonality. 
So you know, it provides us with with a good cash inflow, particularly in in the northern hemisphere winter months. It provides a really nice addition to the group, and, and we're looking forward to it being part of our group. Yeah, I think that's something that people when wherever you live, I think you get very hemisphere dominated, and you think that spring and summer here or spring and summer everywhere but uh, clearly for something that's a seasonal product if you have the southern hemisphere as well and that really makes a big difference yeah it does the, the other nice thing is that it's it's a very strong business in its market so it, it's the number one in in new zealand um, it's got some fantastic brands and some great people so it just fits very nicely into what we're trying to do on a global level we're obviously now number three globally and this just further enhances our position so we're very excited about it does that mean that you will be able to use some of the products that are in that market and expand them to other markets and also introduce things that wouldn't necessarily already be in that market through your other products yeah i mean that's exactly the thinking behind the deal so the tip top business already distributes into other markets namely china and japan which we've obviously got an interest in being able to send products to but also i think hopefully tip top will benefit from our product knowledge and experience in manufacturing you know we're a dedicated ice cream company and you know, some of the technology and, and the proprietary ip that we've got hopefully we can leverage in in new zealand to give consumers there you know some some also some exciting and new products and, and will it go both ways are there products in in that new zealand market that could be attractive in other markets as well yes definitely it's a very high dairy content ice cream that they produce with really high quality so it's probably too early for us to have any definite plans but certainly we'll be interested to see what opportunities there are and as far as employment is concerned, do, do things change massively there or do you just keep it the same? Yeah, we're really pleased. The existing management team see the opportunity and are, and are coming across with the business. Obviously, we're going to need some support from Fonterra, particularly in the, in the midterm, because the business was completely enrolled within the Fonterra group there and, and we'll need to separate out a number of functions. But the, the key management people are all transferring, which is great news. So in, in a situation like this, how does it work when you're working with Fonterra? Do they retain any of the, the brands or how, how is that working? I think one brand will be retained by Fonterra and licensed in, into the tip-top business, but the rest will, will transfer with the business. So it will be fairly clean from that perspective. Okay, and obviously, will Fonterra still be involved in terms of the milk procurement? Yeah, the product there is obviously based on milk and cream. We've managed to secure um, a long-term supply agreement with Fonterra for that. So, you know, their farmers will continue to benefit from, you know, us buying their product and, and utilising it in the ice cream. Seems like a win-win for everybody then. I think so. I think what the deal brings is, you know, Frenari's ability to invest in ice cream specifically, whereas I think Fonterra are obviously looking to refocus their business um, on, on the dairy market. So hopefully people will see the opportunity that Frenari can bring, both from an investment perspective but knowledge perspective. And I think, you know, we're looking forward to learning more about the business, really, because it's done particularly well. It's, it's established a really strong position in the market. So I'm sure there are learnings both ways. 
Yeah, definitely. And and how long would it typically be when you enter into a new market where you would start looking at the product range and adding to it or changing it a little? Obviously, I, I would imagine it varies depending on the geography. Yeah, it varies on the geography. And it, I mean, it also varies on the condition of, of the business that you're acquiring. I mean, the, the business there commercially is very sound. And um, so that I, I don't envisage that we'll make huge wholesale changes in, in the very short term. We obviously have license opportunities with some of our international brands. But, you know, the business will be run by the local management team. So we're not heavy handed in terms of how we approach these things. So they get quite a bit of autonomy then, which is good for them, I suppose. Yeah, you know, we have a local culture within the business, and, and we, by that I mean we have a, a light touch centrally on a global level, um, and, and we fully empower our people to go and, and do what's right within their local market wherever possible. So, you know, we, we won't change on, on those principles. So is the potential for expansion, maybe with more plants or expanding into other geographical areas? Yeah, currently we have a business in Philippines. We have a very strong business in Australia. We're delighted that we've now got a presence in New Zealand. If other strategic opportunities came along, you know, for sure we'd be very interested, you know, in, in expanding our presence a bit further. So yeah, you know, it's exciting times, and, and you know, anything that can add to the growth of the group and strengthens our position, we'd be very interested in. I would imagine that it's also a little bit difficult for those people that work at the plants and are a little bit concerned about their future as well. Yeah, and and I think we understand that it's difficult when people are in that situation. But I think our track record of investment in businesses that, that we've acquired, there's no plans to do anything other than invest in the facility that they've got in New Zealand. So I think we can look forward to a bright future for the business there. Yeah, definitely, because I think TipTop's been owned by a few different companies, but never actually by a company that's specifically focused on ice cream. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that singular category focus that really drives the business forward. And now we head to the US for news of some recently launched flavoured butters that are doing well. And I'm sure your mouth will be watering when I mention the six flavours. Cinnamon and brown sugar butter, everything bagel butter, roasted garlic, blueberry, mushroom and sriracha jalapeno. To get the lowdown on how these flavours came about and indeed how the company came about, we spoke with Bennett's Butter Company chef and co-founder Austin Orwasher. We officially launched about six months ago, uh, I'd say around November. I started the company with my sister. She's my business partner. I'm the chef creator, kind of the visionary and the product. And she does a lot of the business and the marketing and and some of the nitty gritty and the day-to-day stuff. So we kind of divide and conquer and it works really well because we work well. I mean, we're very different. It's really easy for us to divide up our buckets it's been a really fun experience you know we, we launched six months ago but uh we, we put a lot of work in to get to that launch point so we probably started about eh, about a year and a half ago doing everything from designing the logo to doing the r&d to uh designing the packaging in the cups yeah and sometimes i think that when a launch is made or when a company comes up with a new product that people seem to think that that's the start but you've been through an awful lot before you even get to that start point 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, we, we started production six months ago. We didn't launch six months ago. We did at least a full year's worth before the launch, maybe even a little bit longer, of tinkering, R&D, capital, package, everything, soup to nuts, the whole nine. We're all about trying to do it and do it right and do it efficiently. So in order to do that, you just needed a whole lot of planning. A whole lot of planning goes into it. And I can't tell you how many different times we changed the packaging before we even had packaging and changed the price point before we even were in a store. So all that got worked and reworked and reworked. And I destroyed my mom's kitchen a couple times trying to get some of the recipes right. You know, it, it was a process. Well, without a doubt. So, but it, it it was a fun one, and we're proud of where where we are right now, and and where we're going to be. Obviously, you're the one that developed the product, but as you said, there's so much more to it than that beyond once you have the product, getting it out there to the market. Oh yeah, it's really challenging. I thought I'd be a chef in the butter business, and I thought my job was to create uh, different flavors of butter, and it's so much more than that. I've in the last year and a half, I've learned so much about so many things that I didn't think were a thing or, or didn't even realize exist in the operations and logistics. Like I could tell you about a whole lot about 3PL and trucking and shipping and, you know, all the nitty gritty and day-to-day logistics that go into it that we really didn't know all too much about. And we've kind of just learned as we go, but it very much is a learning process and each and every day, we, we, we learn something new, nice. um, and we just try to implement it and learn the lesson and get better for the next time. And, and of course, if you had a restaurant, you'd just create something, and then you'd move on to the next dish, but you have to create something consistently and just keep on churning it out to satisfy your customers. I guess it's slightly different. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a challenge to get the recipe consistently scaled. It's about precision. Um, if you're working with an ounce, a pound, or a ton, when you do that first initial test, you know, no one's going to do an initial test on a ton, right? You're never going to plan it out that way. You're going to kind of work at a pound or an ounce rate. And if you're if you're working on, an, you know, a couple, if you're working on a pound of butter and you're off by an ounce, when you scale that up to... 500 pounds to 1,000 pounds to 2,000 pounds, that error is only going to be multiplied. You know, once you're at the production facility, it th- there's no stopping. So your recipes really need to be very exact, very dialed in and very on point and calibrated. And there's really no margin of error for when you're doing the production. Where, where is the, uh, the product produced? Obviously not in your mom's kitchen anymore. Yeah, it's it's not made in my mom's kitchen anymore. She she was very happy about that one. We make it up in Boston. Uh, we have a not-for-profit co-manufacturer that kind of helps us and, and gives us a hand with, with some of the production. And how did you come on the flavors? Because they're slightly different to what you would... Yeah. Honestly, when I first started, I, I think I wrote like 30 different flavors. I'm a chef. I love to create new and different stuff. The most fun part of this business is me being in the kitchen and making something new. That's like my happy place. Yeah. I mean, when I first started, I think I wrote 20 or 30 different flavors. Um, 
we tried to settle on the ones that, well, you know, some of them you can't produce. Some of them are, are too much money uh, to actually produce. And you, you think like, okay, if I put in all these ingredients, I'm going to have to charge like $10 or something crazy. That we want to make something that everyone can use, that everyone can afford and, you know, is priced right uh, so that, you know, we can help create a better cooking experience. And do you have recipes for people that buy your products that they can use these in? Yeah, absolutely. So for each flavor, I think I drew at least 10 to 15 recipes for flavor. Where are the products available? So as of right now, uh, we're available in Kings and Balducci's. Uh, we're available online. We're going to be available in Big Y, I believe starting in the next month or so. So we're really excited about that. We're happy with, with the product that we created. We think it's really cool and really fun to use. And, and one of our goals is to make it so that it's readily available for everyone. And what's reaction been like to it so far? Overwhelmingly positive. Everyone has been like really receptive. They've, they've told me about all the flavors that they like. The biggest issue is that they can't decide which one they like the best which is like so encouraging, it's great. I, I try to push people because, you know, I want real life criticism. Like, you know, I'm a chef, we got thick skin. That's kind of how chefs are, are bred. So like I, I push people to give me the negative and yeah, I, I just haven't heard a whole lot of it. It's definitely a good problem to have. Um, are you planning on more flavors, seasonal flavors, limited edition flavors in the future? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I love creating new flavors and I love working with seasonal ingredients. You know, I'm in the nor uh, the Northeast. Right now it's ramp season. So this is me being new and being just kind of silly. I didn't post this on our Bennett's butter, but I just posted this on my own personal Instagram. And I said like, Hey, whoever is located near me, I'm working on some new samples. I was working on an art on a ramp butter just to see and do some super seasonal stuff. And I, I said on my own personal Instagram, hey, if anyone's interested and in New York City, send me a message and I'll, and I'll give you some free samples. We're, we're new and, and we want to push the envelope and, and try some new stuff and, and connect with our customers. Yeah, I guess communication is something that has really changed. Many years ago, the only way to promote a new product would be to take out an ad or maybe go on the radio. But now there's just so much in the way of social media that you can do with a new product. And that's what we want to do because cooking is fun. And we want to help people create fun and flavorful dishes. Um, and the only way to do that is to kind of connect with them. Now it's to the UK for what could be considered to be a new dairy category, chilled quark bars from Yar. There are three variants, cloudberry, vanilla and toffee, and they have a recommended retail price of 99 pence per bar, which is about 125 in US dollars. Unless you're listening to this after Brexit happens and the pound plummets, in which case you can forget that exchange rate. Each bar is made of quark and coated in either a Belgian milk chocolate, caramel or toffee glaze. The centre has a taste similar to yoghurt and the texture of a cheesecake. To tell us more about the product is the founder of the company, André Garbouz. It's split in two. We have the, uh, the manufacturing facility is based on the island uh, of Sarama in Estonia. 
and then our our warehousing and uh, repacking operation is the storage location located in Peterborough. Oh, that's really interesting because I remember when I was out in Estonia doing some stories, I learned from one of the companies over there about Sarama and about how the island creates a completely different kind of milk. You're quite filled in on the whole uh, benefits of, uh, of the unique location of uh, the Sarama and uh, the ecosystem being there pretty much, uh, uh, you know, organic, unfortunately, without the certifications. Uh, uh, in, in fact, um, uh, the milk there is organic, it just doesn't have the certification because all the methods and procedures to use organically, they don't need to use any additives because of the quality of the nutrients in the soil uh, and hence in, uh, in the food that the cows. Uh, so you use the milk from from there and, yep. then, uh, and then you produce yep. the products there and store them here? Exactly. That, that's the whole point because uh, the cooperatives that own the milk farms, it's too expensive for them to, logistics basically kills any benefits for them to uh, ship this milk anywhere uh, to be used outside of the island. So all the milk uh, on the island is consumed by uh, by, by two dairy factors. Uh, and so yes, and so all basically the main the main raw material is uh, you know is milk from uh, from the Sarama cooperatives. The products that you create, uh, all of it, all, the entire production is made there. So the other product, the other ingredients are all Estonian as well, or are they brought in from other places? Yeah, I mean there there are a few bits and pieces here and there that are you know could come from Sweden or Finland, but everything is kind of Nordic and uh, local. Cloudberry comes you know occasionally from Estonia, occasionally from Sweden, occasionally from Finland. You know, so you know depending on the season and the suppliers. It's it's all I mean all the ingredients in the uh, in the bar are of natural origin and uh, so the the proximity to the supply is, is essential here. And I know that in Estonia and other countries like Lithuania and Latvia, the milk-based bars covered in chocolate or covered in other things are quite big, and they seem to be expanding across Europe now. So yeah, I mean the the, the trend has been that it's a great product. It was developed in the Baltics. Uh, after Second World War, uh, what I have seen is uh, pretty much zero innovation, both on product positioning and uh, pretty much uh, formulation. You know, since then, there have been few flavors added. So what we did is we created Yara to A, uh, have a very different uh, kind of positioning and functional pursuit, uh, as well as high quality formulation. I mean, people are not prepared to pay a lot of money for these products in the Baltics. So this is why they use a lot of very low quality ingredients in them uh, to make them cheaper. So that kind of doesn't really marry with your philosophy because we want to use, we want to maximize the daily goodness in the product and uh, don't use any, you know, any bad things in it. You know, what makes it appeal uh, is manufacturing costs, you know, much higher than any other products that are sold locally. So this is why we do not target the market in Europe. The bars that seem to be popular there are sort of milk-based and they're like a curd bar, but what you've done is taken two sort of different trends and put them together to make a completely new trend, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And where are they available right now? I mean, they're available in about 100 uh, Sainsbury stores in all Whole Foods market stores in London and a few independents, some of the budgets. You know, the whole kind of, you know, idea of VR, yes, is to change and to, oh, not really change, to supplement uh, the dairy snacking uh, category yes, uh, in the UK. 
So the idea is to, you know, to target, you know, any daily consumer who would eat and snack on yogurt, uh, skier, uh, quark. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's something that looks looks very new and that often does quite well because it. I, I assume that with the background in terms of the island and the products that you're bringing in, it's very clean label and and it works in that way as well and nutritionally. Yeah, it's just uh, 140 calories uh, per bar and uh, each bar has natural uh, protein of about 4 grams. You know, around eight and a half grams of fat and uh, average of 10 grams of sugar for a whole bar, which is, uh, I mean, if you compare that to, uh, you know, a lot of other yogurts, snacking yogurts on the shelf, that's kind of, that's very average, yes. So, you know, some are a little bit less, some are much more, you know. So we're mm-hmm. quite average there. If you, you know, likewise, if you compare our nutritional proposition to other ambient snacks, you know, such as biscuits and uh, various snack bars, I think that our nutritional profile is uh, much better. If you compare ourselves to indulgent products such as frozen category or chilled desserts or frozen, you know, such as ice creams, you know, then we're also much better. So I think that we're in this unique position where we're certainly, you know, in line with what the daily offering uh, uh, is offering yes, mm-hmm. to its customers and uh, giving a much better deal both financially and uh, and nutrition-wise, so there have been plenty of indulgent yogurts on the market, and Muller pretty much dominates the category. But I have not seen much of indulgent quarks or indulgent skiers out there. Yes, so I think that what Yar does it serves the purpose of uh, putting a little bit of fun into uh, a nutrition profile that is balanced and uh, better for you, you know? The packaging is quite distinct as well. Yeah, so our our design team has uh, you know worked on uh, you know various options for us to stand out as a category uh, in the dairy section. So it's uh, you know it's a concept called packvertising, where uh, you know your visibility and your contrast on the shelf of how you're positioned versus other other players uh, plays a large part to you know the color codes used in the in the brand. Right. And Yar, is that an Estonian word? I'm showing my ignorance no, here. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just okay. something we created. What sounds Nordic. So <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. So Yar is just kind of something what we own. And it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, we, we, we found out from a multiple trade shows we attended that Yar uh, means uh, like a friend body in, uh, uh, in various languages around uh, Sort of, uh, you know, North uh, and South Asia, so like India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. And how did you decide on the flavors? Well, I mean, a, a vanilla flavor was pretty much something that you know we, we kind of took off the shelf because uh, it's quite common for this, you know, for this sort of product to have that plain vanilla flavor. I just wanted to, you know, to use a, a better, you know, a better type of chocolate. So uh, we. You know, we took a plain quark mass and we decided to coat it in, um, you know, uh, kind of something that is in between, uh, you know, an average, uh, an average dark chocolate. Yeah. So it's not something that is, you know, bitter dark, but something that is kind of not really milk chocolate. And uh, I felt that that in combination with, you know, pure plain quark would just give a, you know, a very good flavor. And vanilla so far is, you know, probably one of the best selling flavors. Yeah. Uh, just for that. 
Um, and uh, Cloudberry and Lenham, for example, is, uh, is something that I think is interesting because uh, Cloudberry is a superberry from Sweden. Uh, I learned that it also grows in several parts of uh, North Scotland. Uh, it's pretty much a version of an Arctic berry, and uh, it's rather good for you. And we felt that, you know, having a product with cloudberry inside it and a bit of a lemon zest can be, you know, can be an interesting proposition. And toffee uh, was just uh, a very interesting. I mean, there, you know, the, co the toffee coating uh, really gives that uh, uh, interesting kick to the product is, uh, is that it makes it, its texture, you know, very similar to taste. Uh, it make, makes it taste very similar to cheesecake. So, uh, you know, the, the the toffee flavor is something sort of, you know, uh, more on an indulgent side. I mean, it's uh, a lot of people think that it's very sweet, but it just has like you know, 11 grams of, um, or even like I think 10.8 grams of sugar in it, you know. It's a toffee coating that really gives that additional dungeon kick. So, I mean, we also have a double chocolate flavor that is currently over the shelf and maybe in the near future we'll roll it out and launch it, which will be, uh, you know, Belgian dark, darker chocolate uh, coated with quark mixed with, uh, you know, with uh, cocoa powder. So it will have pretty much chocolate quark in Belgian chocolate coating. All right. Yeah, I was got, that was going to be my next question. It was going to be about new new flavors. Whether you're just going to concentrate on the existing yeah. ones, or yeah. I think this is this is where we are in terms of what we have now. Our NPD pipeline is very big. There is a lot of products. There is a lot of things we can do. We can, you know, we can roll out, uh, you know, the usual suspect flavors. You know, blueberry, strawberry, etc. And we're working on them at the moment. And we can also go much more exotic. You know. We have, we have to kind of do something with what we have first, you know, before we can, uh, you know, really go out there and line extend into these different varieties with, uh, you know, lower sugar versions, higher protein versions, etc. Technologically wise and innovation wise, there's a lot we can do. So I think that these three four flavors I've named and described, mm. it's, it's just a start. It's just, it's just an opening statement. So, you know, I mean, the feedback so far is really good. So it's, I mean, opportunity is really there to to expand via traditional multiple retail channel, uh, via you know convenience and independent stores, as well as food service. I think it's important to add something about uh, you know the pricing proposition. Uh, a lot of the times I have this feedback you know from people like, oh, it must be extremely overpriced because people are usually spoiled, uh, not spoiled, but kind of you know used to the fact that any bar format is like you know between two and three pounds. And when they find out that we're sort of 99p in Sainsbury's, they they get quite surprised of uh, the price point being very accommodative. So I think that that's uh, that's also an important point that our pricing in Sainsbury's is 99p with independence and speciality high street retail. We aim to be slightly north of that, you know, between uh, you know sort of pound 25 and pound 49. Yes, uh, and uh, we think that this is definitely we've done the research. It's in line with uh, uh, with a proposition on uh, not only on the you know on the on the nearest products uh, on the dairy aisle, but uh, it's definitely a good value proposition versus other categories. And I think it's important as well that when you price something reasonably like that, if somebody's not necessarily sure of the product and and maybe just likes the look of the packaging, they're going to try it yeah. for that price. Absolutely, absolutely, and and to and to kind of uh, to support the trial. We're also doing an aggressive sampling campaign, and we're kind of supporting every single retailer. We 
even a, even a small independent we're talking to, you know, they, if they get in touch with us first and they ask us for any sampling support, we just prioritize and give them the stuff and the location so that uh, uh, the customers can be trialed with a piece of the product. And we've learned that that is a very big driver for the rate of sale. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone's Liam Fenton. Butter continued to remain under pressure this week um, in the futures market as the premium against bot continued to get squeezed. Uh, quarter three butter came off from 4,200 levels of last week to 41.25 this week and quarter four butter was uh, down about 50 euros uh, from 42.50 to 4,200 Spot for Dutch, Belgian, German butter in, in physical seemed to remain largely stable uh, around 4,000 level or a little under it if, if there was a bid for size. But there were very aggressive offers for the likes of Polish butter uh, below the 3,700 level even. Uh, skimmel powder was also a little suppressed with quarter three down by about, um, about 25 euros a tonne to 21.75 from 2,200. And quarter four uh, remained relatively steady, staying around the 2,200 level. I think some of this pressure on skimmel powder could be attributed to European trade being a little bit disappointed in its participation in the recent um, Algerian O'Neill tender. Whey remained at the same level uh, of last week, around the 750-775 level, and we did start to see some support for US whey coming in uh, following the recent sell-off as a result of the um, African swine in China. Thank you, Liam. Talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another Dairy Dialogue. We'll be back again seven days from now on the last day in May, when hopefully I'll be back from Barcelona after the Free From Expo, which includes categories such as dairy-free and lactose-free. On next week's show, we should have an interview with American Dairy Products Institute after their recent annual conference in Chicago, Eagle Product Inspection, which has developed a new X-ray inspection system, the PAC400HC, specifically designed for use with dairy products, and Ingredion on their Asia-Pacific Virtual Lab. And that's virtually it. I'll also let you know how Barcelona was, and we'll look forward to what's happening in June, which is Dairy Month, but there are also some weird and wonderful special days in June to share with you. So until then, have a great week, hope you'll join us next time, and thanks for listening.